At Sailing Fest in 2019, me and the other attendees were treated to a whole host of talks and panels by different people connected to the Twilight Zone in different ways. And you never know how it's going to be until you're sat in the audience. But my guest tonight was one of the people up on that stage giving us a great talk. And afterwards, I've got to tell you, the place was a buzz with people talking about this presentation. So it's my great pleasure to welcome to the show my friend Ed Cato. Ed, thanks for coming on. Oh, Tom, it's so good to be here. Thank you very much for having me. So, you know, not everyone got to be at Sailing Fest, so not everyone is going to be familiar with you. Tell us a bit about you, Ed. You know, I know you've got a lot of strings to your bow, so go for it. Yes, <laughs> I do have a lot of strings to my bow. I'm going to use that line. I love it. Um, my background is uh, essentially a marketing guy and business consultant. So I spent most of my career um, working for ad agencies and consulting for for companies with marketing efforts or strategic efforts or planning efforts. But um, I also have a, a great passion and almost like a minor in geek culture. So that mm. means all things comics and uh, comic related media. Um, I've had a lot of forays into that, including uh, making comics and making toys um, that are uh, so much fun. I've worked on uh, conventions as well. In fact, uh, Helped uh, New York Comic Con in its sophomore year launch and okay. uh, had a great time working for Reed Elsevier, one of the big um, convention companies. And as they embraced this whole notion of, of trade shows for the geek culture, it's been fun. But, mm -hmm. but recently, um, I joined the faculty of Ithaca College in the Finger Lakes. Um, my focus there is uh, working on entrepreneurial courses. There, there's a great professor there, Brad Treat who uh, started this entrepreneurial effort. And he brought me along in because they, they, the, the demand was so great. Um, naturally, as you can imagine, a guy like me um, loved doing that. But Ithaca is super important because mm. uh, there's a couple things going on. One, Rod Serling was a professor there in his later years. He's actually from the Finger Lakes area as well, originally. And uh, uh, he was at Ithaca College. So... Um, the nation's longest running comic convention is San Diego. Mm. Just celebrated its 50th year. It's a big convention. It's so much fun. A lot of great things there. The nation's second longest running comic convention is Ithacon. It's the Ithaca Comic Book Club's convention that was founded 45 years ago. Wow. And yeah, so uh, a few years ago, the group that runs Ithacon worked out a deal with Ithaca College mm -hmm. and was spearheaded by this woman, uh, Professor Catherine Kittridge, and uh, some of the founders, including the, the main founder, Bill Turner, um, worked out a deal. So Ithaca College would embrace um, the Ithacon mm -hmm. and, and come up with this crazy idea where students would learn about conventions, uh, specifically comic conventions, and then run this, plan it, manage it, run it, clean up afterwards, the whole bit. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work, but a lot of fun too. Yeah. So when we ran it last year, we, we had a focus on, um, Rod Serling and the anniversary of the twilight zone, um, to a, to a lesser extent, uh, anniversary of night gallery as well. Mm -hmm. So the Ithaca college has this phenomenal archives of, of all this Rod Serling 
stuff that's in this room on the top of, you know, the library and this great archivist takes good care of it, but we were able to trot it all out and we put it in showcases and we let people see everything from old scripts to the nebula awards that he won and the, uh, you know, trophies, old microphones and tape recorders. It was just glorious for a, you know, a Rod Serling fan or a Twilight Zone fan. I mean, you must have been in there, Ed, and just spent hours looking through this stuff, right? Are you allowed to do that? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's just like you'd think. You know, when I, I met the archivist at Ithaca College, mm. she's got this, you know, kind of like secret room, and it's all controlled with humidity and the temperature. And, wow. uh, uh, you know, she looked like a character in a Twilight Zone episode with papers and boxes it was fascinating and yeah i kind of wanted to like accidentally get locked in one night and just stay there yeah i, I wasn't able to make that happen uh, much to my regrets but but all the uh all the archive items were, were just fantastic and it, it was great fun last year to to show those at the at the ithcon the ithca comic convention so in terms of documents then what what kind of documents are we talking in there Oh, sure. So there, there were a lot of um, scripts and a lot of scripts from uh, various, um, various drafts mm. uh, that Serling had done. It was all, it was all donated by his widow. The, the documents were great. They had some things like um, some, some comics, which we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah. Um, like their, their, their comic collection for Twilight Zone wasn't really strong. Uh, oh. Different kinds of ephemera and collectibles. You know, a lot of photographs uh, that they had. All the all the Ithaca College photographs are just hilarious to see him in his, you know, his later years with kind of a '70s haircut, yeah. and uh, you know, he always looks very, you know, very regal yet friendly to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking with students, and you know, always, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, just uh, uh, all these students just enraptured by whatever he's saying. Yeah, uh, yeah. And they're, they're they're absolutely fantastic photographs. Okay. Okay. So Ithacon is happening this year, isn't it as well? Yeah. So we're, Ithacon is happening this year. It's actually uh, March uh, 21, 22nd. If I can put a plug in for that, Tom. Sure. Uh, we'd love to get you out uh, someday. And, and uh, we'll always be focusing on Twilight Zone and Rod Sterling just because of the history that he has. Uh, last year, we, we had a big focus. Uh, uh, this year, this year we're going to be focusing really on the 45th anniversary of the show, which is which is just incredible. But, um, mm. but through all that, you know, I really did a deep dive into uh, Twilight Zone comics, the world where comics overlapped with Twilight Zone. And I worked really hard to find an expert, someone who knew all about it and find that definitive article about it. Yeah. And uh, to my surprise, there really wasn't one. So, um, yeah. so I kind of studied up and, and, and I'm working hard to be, you know, to be that expert just because someone's got to be. And, and because there's, there's so much fascinating, uh, information there. It's a little bit confusing. I, I mean, I've delved into it at times and, you know, there's different companies involved and I guess we'll kind of maybe go through them, uh, progressively, but the history of the twilight zone in comics is, is almost as old as the, the show itself, isn't it? That's right. It, it really is. Um, there's, there's been a lot of comics through the years. A lot of comic companies have, have taken a shot at it. Um, some of the work is, is brilliant. A lot of the work I'd say is mediocre, mm. but um, it's also interesting how many folks who went on to have big names in comics uh, at one point or another 
um, you know, uh, uh, contributed over the years, you know, everyone from Al Williamson to Walt Simonson to Alex Toth, um, you know, uh, just uh, uh, it's a uh, who's who of great comics creators who, who all kind of stepped in for, you know, for a story or two. And uh, and that, that's part of the charm to this incredible um, kind of like forgotten corner of Twilight Zone history. Yeah, yeah. I guess for most of us, even if we don't delve into the comics much, pretty much everyone's going to be familiar with a gold key cover, aren't they? You know, oh, is, is that where it all began then with gold key? Yeah, more or less. It actually, uh, uh, it, it's too long for this show, but th- there was a company called Dell that um, had a relationship with with gold key. From the fan point of view, sometimes you see gold key covers and kind of started out with Dell cover covers. Right. But um, yeah, it, it technically started under the auspices of Dell and then morphed very quickly into uh, uh, gold key. And then, and then gold key kind of had a relationship where some of the imprint was also imprinted under uh, Western publishing just, just to make things. It all started with gold key time. Right. Okay. Okay. So that's where it all starts to get a bit confusing, but in terms of, that kind of original body of work. Are we, are we talking about 90 comics, are we, or, or thereabouts? Yeah, yep, about uh, 92 roughly to start off. And, uh, you know, they all had these, as you said, the covers were by this fantastic artist, George Wilson, mm. who was the master at, at doing these painted covers. They always kind of look like a paperback cover to to me as a younger reader. And, and I can remember even being confused, like, wait, is that a – is that a photograph or is that a, a, you know, it's not a drawing, not like a traditional comic book cover drawing as we think of them. Um, but they were, they were top notch and he did, you know, he did a lot of, um, a lot of covers over the years for a lot of different properties. So when you look at, you know, the, the Phantom or, you know, a lot of these gold key and Dell covers, uh, these George Wilson covers just really stand out. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, you know, I, I've got a handful of them. I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole because I'll end up just trying to hunt them all down. But, <laughs> <laughs> but what I find, you know, naturally they are of their time. They are, they are quite simplistic in their storytelling, but what they have is, I think, an abundance of charm, especially when we look at them, back at them now. So what, what's your assessment of them as a comics fan? Yeah, I think um, I like that phrase, abundance of charm. Uh, the, maybe I'll use that for a title of something at some point. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think that's a good um, that's a good way to say it. And I, I think one of the things that we think about now with a property like the Twilight Zone is um, we have many ways to kind of access the Twilight Zone. Right. So, mm. hey, if you want to see, you know, the second episode of season two, you can you can get at it pretty quick in a number of different ways. But in those days, when these books were, when these comics were being produced, which was uh, many of them after the show had ended, you may not have that that ability. So mm-hmm. um, you didn't necessarily have that familiarity or that ultra familiarity that we all have with the episodes now. So I think sometimes, you know, folks looked at these comics and or looked at thought of the Twilight Zone and said, "Oh, that's the show with like a twist ending." Yeah, and so maybe it'd have a twist ending and. You know, that O. Henry type of um, uh, story is lovely, but, you know, the Twilight Zone was much more than that, you know, much more. Or they'd say it's, oh, it's rocket ships or, you know, there's that one with the guys in the moon or a different planet. 
you know, Twilight Zone was so much more than that, you know, so much more thoughtful. Yeah. And I think that so many times in, in this first run, the, the creators kind of, you know, they got the bits and pieces of it, you know, ordinary person, in an extraordinary situation, or, or maybe one incredible thing happens, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe a science fiction motif. But, um, you know, beyond that, uh, you know, they, they, I think they kind of, Mm, they didn't fully understand it and and yeah. and and that's okay I, I i understand that but but i think that kind of uh leads to another thing that you spoke about at sailing fest doesn't it in the um in the fact that at that time there was things like boris karloff comics and so on could you just reiterate that to the listeners as well oh sure yeah so at that time you know there were there were uh, comics and, and old radio shows have this rich history of the host introducing, you know, a spooky story or a scary story. And I think a guy like Boris Karloff, although he had a fascinating career uh, in the world of comics, he became that horror host. You know, welcome. Let me tell you this creepy story about what happened to this woman or this man. And it went like this. And you'd be off to the races with this creepy story. And there was um, kind of an easy way out with these Twilight Zone comics to introduce Serling as just this teller of tales. He yeah. would, in the comics, he he would have his cameos where he'd he'd come in and the artist would work very hard to get the likeness just right. Um, actually, when you read a lot of these, you can see that they were all working from like three or four photographs. You know, every <laughs> every every picture has you know Rod Serling's face like in a certain position. It's like, oh, right. that guy worked from the same one. Um, also you can see even with these gold key, uh, books, the, the cover layout, the trade dress was very, very similar. So like, you know, Boris Karloff, his, his title was called tales of mystery is, is a very similar layout, even down to the, um, the fonts used as, mm-hmm. as the twilight. Um, you know, that, that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. Um, but it's, uh, you know, in today's world where, uh, properties are so, uh, held so closely to be authentic and to be true, mm. you know, that, that just wouldn't happen. You know, they, the, the brand managers and the lawyers wouldn't let something like that be, you know, so off model uh, as it was then. But um, th- there is an abundance of charm in it, as you say. <laughs> so, so was it the case then that, you know, they would have, I just picture a room full of guys pumping stories out and it's like, okay, we'll use that one for the Twilight Zone. We'll use that one for Boris Karloff. You know, was it like a production line kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if that happened, uh, if that's exactly the way it happened, except not necessarily a bunch of guys in the office. You know, mm-hmm. so many of these folks would be, you know, um, driving into Connecticut, you know, to to pick up their assignments or, uh, you know, calling in to, to get their writing assignments and then, and then turn around and spit them out. So, but you know, if you were an artist, you know, you might say, Oh yeah, geez, I got the editor gave me two stories. You know, I got two twilight zones and a Boris Karloff and I got to do something for DC's house of mystery. And I got to do them all by, you know, all by the third week of the month. And how am I going to get this done? And I got to pay the mortgage. (laughs) And those were the thoughts I think more so than, let me be true to the vision that Mr. Serling developed. Right. Um, that, that just wouldn't happen in those days. Okay, okay. So at Sailing Fest, 
because we had conversed before, you know, by email or, or messenger and so on. So we we kind of knew of each other, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah. You you you've driven with me in my car many times through the podcast. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's that strange podcast relationship where, yeah. uh, you know, I feel like we're best friends driving around all the time. <laughs> But um, but we hadn't met yet at Sailing Fest, and I stood up and I asked you a question in the audience, and my question was, I would love to own them, not necessarily in the original issues, but some sort of collection. Uh, is there anything you can tell us about that? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that was a great question. And um, we live, uh, we as comic fans or, or, or media fans, we live in this golden age where so many great comics are collected Mm. And uh, they become very accessible, either digitally in a place like Comixology or or in um, uh, hardcover volumes. And it, it's surprising to me that Twilight Zone has not been collected that way uh, thus far. You you can't get either you know currently in publication or or you know find it um, uh, old copies of those beautiful bound copies of Twilight Zone, and, and that's a drag. Uh, that, yeah. That's such a shame. So. I just completed this uh, uh, fascinating graphic novel collection with uh, Craig Yo, all about old pirate comics, which uh, are, there, there's this history of these amazing pirate comics. And wow. uh, there's some great stuff out there. In, in the world of comics, there's this uh, old phrase that pirate comics just don't sell. Like every everybody knows that in the business, pirate comics just don't sell. Um, but we uh, we had a panel in San Diego, and uh, it was a pirate panel, mm. and we talked about this, and it was packed. We had like 200 people in this panel that that initially I, I thought would be very very small it was overflowing. Um, that led us to put together this uh, uh, pirate book. Uh, it's published in conjunction with Yo Books, Craig Yo's imprint, and Clover Press comes out next month and it's, uh, it's going to be so much fun. It's, it's going to be great. Wow. We're actually going to come back with a, um, female pirate follow-up, all these great stories about, you know, female pirates, some based on real life pirates and, and some may believe. So I, I say that because, um, that's just where we are with the twilight zone now. So, uh, I'm again, I'm working with, um, Craig Yo. We're exploring the legalities of pulling together, uh, a Twilight Zone volume in much the same way, just the same way that this pirate book everyone says there's be no demand for. Um, I think there's I think there's a lot of demand for Twilight Zone authentic Twilight Zone material, mm. especially this this Twilight Zone which has you know top notch creators. Comic fans would would love to see you know Alex Toth or you know Simonson or Bob McCloud story uh and twilight zone fans would say oh boy you know give me give me the top 30 of them they, i'm sure they're very entertaining what a great addition to any collection so we're working through it the one of the issues was um that the uh legality of these old books is a little muddy mm. so cs people are kind of uh searching through that and and i hope we can come up with some deal i i would tell fans to uh, make some noise on social media if this is something they'd be be really interested in and it, it will just help our case as we uh as we plow ahead ed i think there's a few thousand people listen to this show now and i think a lot of people's ears will have pricked up when you said that right now and they would i think there's an audience for it i think a lot of people would love to have that 
it's not even just reading the stories. It works on so many levels for me because it's the artifact value as well. You know, just this yeah. is what people were doing at the time. And you always find some great artists there who were probably underappreciated in their time. You know, we've got the big names, but other people too. And like I just bought uh, all the hardback, you know, Planet of the Apes books. That, right. You know, they were beautiful. And, and I would just... I would wish the same for the Twilight Zone. So I think we're all rooting for you, Ed. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I think you're spot on. And, and I'll tell you what, too, Tom, like reading reading the Twilight Zone, of course, is different than, than watching the Twilight Zone when the way we all started. But you can't help but read a Twilight Zone comic in your brain. Like when there's Rod Serling dialogue, your brain <laughs> just puts his voice in there. It's like this lost recording that we as fans are all able to to run in our heads. And it's, yeah. you know, it's so pleasant to hear his voice again, even though, you know, he never spoke the words in, mm -hmm. in a particular comic and, and once in a while, and maybe this is more just me being a weirdo, but you know, once in a while you even have the, the swells of music uh -huh. come up, even song or some of that, you know, beautiful background music throughout, you know, throughout the show. So, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's kind of nutty the way that we fill these things in, but, um, but uh, charming nonetheless. Yeah, definitely. So that was gold key. Where, where did the twilight zone go from there then? Yeah. So, um, yeah, gold key kind of ran it and it turned into Western and that, that was super, uh, Whitman rather, uh, and it turned into, um, that. And then, there's a couple of funny things. A couple near the end, we had some uh, fascinating things like uh, Frank Miller, who went on to to great fame, really mm -hmm. debuted in issue eighty four. So, you know, one of his very first stories are are in the Twilight Zone, and uh, and as I said, there were other books like um, Boris Karloff books and that yeah. sort of things that that, that kind of came up. Interestingly, like Boris Karloff books have been collected by uh, Dark Horse. And, uh, you know, that, that led me to, to, again, my greater surprise that, wow, I can't believe these haven't been collected. Yeah. So, yeah. So skip ahead to like the, the eighties, there was this imprint called now comics mm. that was all about acquiring licensed properties. And they, you know, they sought after all their old favorites, like, uh, the green Hornet speed racer, uh, a version of ghostbusters, um, even movies like, uh, uh, Baron uh, Munchausen. Am I even saying that right? Yeah, yeah. And they, uh, uh, so they, they were very focused on license property, and they, um, they got the license the Twilight Zone. I think that was end of the end of the eighties, early nineties, uh -huh. and uh, some of it was fantastic. Like uh, Harless, Harlan Ellison uh, wrote a story. We had Neil Adams artwork and yeah. Mitch O'Connell artwork, and uh, you know there were some clunkers in there, but uh, th there were some, some very strong stories in there as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, that, that, that was a, a, a fun run. There, there was a little company in like 2009, um, Walker that adapted some, uh, Twilight Zone scripts. And they were, that was the first time like the real scripts were adapted into comic format. Right. Um, yeah, the, the, oh, that was kind the of ones like, who do like the after hours and stuff like that, or, or Nightmare at Thirty Thousand. Am I thinking of the right ones? The sort of these. Yeah, yeah. Midnight Sun was one. Yeah, and, yeah. Yep, and 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 I think they, you know, they kind of um, saw that opportunity with the birth of 
of graphic novels. So mm-hmm. not necessarily the traditional floppy comic, but, um, you know, graphic novels that could, you know, be sold to libraries or bookstores, but that, that whole comic format. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, and then most recently, um, dynamite comics, um, produced, uh, some great, great stuff. Dynamite's a, um, a group based in uh, New Jersey uh-huh. and, uh, uh, Nick Barucci, the publisher, is a fellow who loves comics. He's a he's a very strong entrepreneur. He loves comics. He was just the keynote speaker at Comics Pro, the comic book retailer convention, uh, this past week. Yeah, and um, he he does he does some good comics uh, and a lot of licensed uh, comics. And uh, his his uh, stab at Twilight Zone took a lot of different takes they had a a, a series with uh, Straczynski yeah. uh there was lost tales um they they did this crazy crossover with the pulp character the shadow That's right. um where the the shadow kind of goes into the twilight zone i love the shadow too uh-huh. uh, so that was kind of a, a you know a nutty unexpected thing um that that's where it stands now. And I, there's been a pause. I'm not sure if they're negotiating for further rights or if, if someone else is negotiating, um, kind of a shame that it didn't, it wasn't coordinated with this recent, you know, run on CBS. Yeah. Such a great opportunity that seems to have been missed there. Yeah. Yeah. Really does. Or, you know, uh, yeah, CBS does a, a super job with IDW with like the uh, Star Trek properties, and they yeah. really kind of focus and mine and you know go down one corner for a few months and then down this other alleyway for another few months in another part of the franchise. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, I think there's a lot of legs left to it. So, do do you have any particular favorites? Ed, I I think for me that the pinnacle was the Straczynski run. I really enjoyed that run. It, it sort of it felt traditional but it also kind of advanced the twilight zone in in its method of storytelling you know so any favorites for you yeah um i i think i think the way that you're uh speaking about that dynamite straczynski run is is spot on i think that you know there's a fellow who really thought hard and thought thought a lot about it mm-hmm. um but but i think despite all their all their faults some of those older stories i i just love uh and and it's almost as if there was this crazy cocktail party and um you know a a a legend of comic artwork was talking with rod serling and you know they they kind of collaborate (laughs) you know none of them ever met serling i imagine but there there was that element uh to it so at Ithacon last year, we had uh, Walter Simonson as a guest. Oh, wow. And uh, you might know Walter Simonson, yeah. a fantastic artist, um, in many ways uh, rejuvenated Thor, much of what you've seen on the screen. But he's done so many of his own brilliant things, uh, Ragnarok currently working on through IDW. Mm. And and he talked about this um, Twilight Zone story he did. And he said, you know, I think I think I got away and I was the only time that we had Rod Serling not dressed as we think of him. And, you know, it's like, well, what, what, what do you mean? Which one was this again? And he he told this story how um, there was kind of like this uh, Middle Earthy story, you know, with leprechauns and fairies and the old Miller and that sort of thing, gnomes. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
on the splash page, he has Rod Serling with with a pipe, but it's it's a long pipe. I'm not even sure what those old clay pipes is that what they were called. Yeah. He's in this clay, and he's dressed like a hobbit or a wizard or something on this giant mushroom. And uh, you know, he's like, "Hi, let me introduce yourself to the professor." And it happened a long time ago. You know, it's like Rod Serling dressed up like a gnome. Like uh, somehow it works. It was done. I- respectfully yeah. but, uh, uh, but it's so uh silly and bizarre and fun too definitely fun brilliant the fact that you got simonson there uh, i mean it must mean ithacon certainly gets some names there what before we go can you tell us any guests this year oh yeah this this year we're gonna have a uh, fantastic uh lineup so um we have uh jamal Igel. Uh, one of my favorite artists. Uh, I like him because of all his time at DC, but also the creator own work he's done. So he's mm-hmm. done everything from Supergirl to the Ray to Molly danger, his own work. And, um, recently the, the series, uh, black and he, uh, he's working with Ahoy comics on a number of projects and Ahoy comics is a publisher who's going to be there mm-hmm. along with people like, uh, Tom Payer and Frank Camuso. Um, we have a fella who I've never met before, but I worked with him on an article and uh, found him charming. And, and I'm excited to get him up. And this this is uh, Trevor Von Eden, who co-created Black Lightning, now a show wow. on the CW. And um, he he did this. He, he worked with this uh, writer, uh, Tony Isabella, um, who had been in comics for a while, but Trevor was very young. He was only 16 or 17 when he started working. And, mm. and as a kid, you know, we were all aghast, like what a 17 year old is working. And I think I was 15 or 12 or something then. So he progressed very quickly into, uh, having this, um, innovative kind of, uh, style with a, a huge, um, uh, sense of urgency that really just pushed the reader along the page. And I always admire his work and, we're going to get him coming up for it. And um, we've got uh, up-and-coming writer uh, Stephanie Phillips from Buffalo. She does uh, work for Aftershock. Aftershock mm-hmm. Comics will also be be one of our uh, publishing sponsors. You know, these I think to get a couple um, publishers like that at this little show is, you know, unusual, but we're, we're so very thrilled. And then we have, who's more of a behind-the-scenes guy, but uh, I think he's just a, he's a fantastic individual. And uh, he's got this rich history is uh, Mike Gold. Okay. And Mike Gold was an editor at First Comics and then at DC Comics. And I always maintain that without Mike Gold, you wouldn't have those CW shows like The Flash and Arrow. He he led the charge to rejuvenate those characters in the 80s and, and 90s at DC. He, he's, he's a guy with about 10 million great stories to tell. And he tells them all very, very well. And... Uh, he's 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 got a strong heart he does a lot of work with uh runaways i know that he he won the uh humanitarian award a couple of years back at the at the harvey awards mm-hmm. and uh uh you know that was such an impressive thing you know besides you know reinventing the flash is is lovely but you know helping runaways is is really super important too you know more important of course and uh uh, and we're uh, we're excited to have him. So uh, we've got got some other folks coming. Uh, some people like uh, Roger Stern and Steve Ellis are longtime friends of the show, and uh, we're thrilled to have them there. And 
Adrian Nash who runs uh, Pop Culture Squad. Bob Harrison will be there. And uh, it's, it's going to be a great party. It's going to be so much fun. Great. Well, hopefully one year I'll be able to make it. Who knows? It'd be, it'd be great. Oh, we'd love to have you, Tom. The, the, the year you come, we'll have to shine the uh, spotlight on the Twilight Zone again. And uh, <laughs> I think it'll be a lot of fun. Well, Ed, I, uh, you know, it was really great meeting you at Sailing Fest, and I'm glad we've had the chance to catch up. And, you know, I know it won't be the last time, but really the best of luck with, you know, that project. We've got an army here, man. If you ever need us, you just let us know and, and we'll be there. Oh, well, I, I appreciate it. I, I know what you've, uh, what you've built and the, the thoughtful analysis that you give the Twilight Zone is is just um, such a tree. And I think also, Tom, I'll, I'll pay you a compliment. Sometimes I think that we've kind of gone over this old ground so many times. You know, what is there new to learn? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I know all this stuff. I've read all the books. And, you know, time and time again on your podcast, you know, you give me something new. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to be Mr. Know-it-all with my friends. Like, oh, here's this new <laughs> thing I've learned. So I try and give you credit when you do that. But uh, but, but it makes it terribly uh fun and fascinating to listen to oh thank you man that's so kind that's so kind okay well once again thank you ed and what's that ithacon date again oh sure we're march 21 and 22nd mm-hmm. right at uh ithaca college free parking and uh it'll it'll be a great time hope to see uh as many twilight zone enthusiasts as we can uh at the place where uh rod sterling finished up his career ithaca college Great, great. Well, best of luck with the show, man. Thank you, Tom. Okay, well, that is a little diversion for the Twilight Zone podcast, but I think you will agree that it was a worthy one. So we will leave it for now, and next time we will have our regularly scheduled episode. Bye for now.